Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 133 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author and PR consultant and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success strategies and resources for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Now, just quickly, before we jump into the main part of the show, I wanted to let you know about my online PR course and group coaching program, Vegans in the Limelight. Now, this is a 12-month online program where you have video training that teaches you everything you need to know about how to do your own PR. You can ask questions on the platform and you can also post your proposed pitches and media releases before sending them to journalists to get my feedback. You also get to jump on a monthly live group call where you can ask whatever questions you want about your business and you can get tailored help from me on anything to do with raising the profile of your brand. So it might be that I look at your website and give you some feedback or how to improve your LinkedIn profile and other marketing and PR topics. So if you'd like to find out more about that, just hop on over to veganbusinessmedia.com and you'll see a link there for Vegans in the Limelight. And now on to the main part of the show. In this episode, I interview Alicia Robb, a vegan investor in Colorado in the US. With a strong background in economics, Alicia created Next Wave Impact to increase diversity, inclusion and impact in early stage investing. The company's global fund has 99 female investors, 25 of them women of colour, which is led by an experienced investment committee of 10 women. As well as investing in vegan-led companies, Alicia also recently founded Vegan Investors, an angel investor group focused on helping vegan companies scale to have massive impact. In this interview, Alicia talks about why there are so few female angel investors and what she's doing to change this, why supporting vegan companies that are led by women, people of colour and other diverse backgrounds is important and how she's making this happen, what she looks for in a business before deciding whether to invest, how a vegan business owner can stand out when pitching her, the types of vegan businesses she invests in and why, the key mistakes entrepreneurs make, particularly when it comes to finances or capital raising, and what you should do instead, details of the virtual online pitch meetings she runs, and much more. Here's the interview with Alicia Robb from Next Wave Impact and Vegan Investors. Alicia, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. No, I, I love your work, so I'm really excited to dig in and, uh, and talk to you, particularly about your, your background in investing and particularly in the entrepreneurial space and in the vegan space, which is fantastic. First question I always like to kick off with, though, is the why. So tell me a bit about why you do what you do. You know, you're working in impact investing, now vegan investing. Why? What, what's the, the, what are the drivers and the purpose and the reasons behind it? Yeah, I started uh, doing uh, venture capital and investing uh, several years ago with a pilot fund when I was still a research fellow with the Kauffman Foundation. 
And one of the things I came around, um, came away with from that was um, just that I wasn't that excited about some of the companies that they that we invested in, not because they weren't great companies, but be, or, and wouldn't give us a great return, but because they didn't necessarily have a huge, you know, a big impact on the world. As we uh, know, we have a lot of problems in the world, and um, I just realized if I was going to continue doing this kind of investing, that I really wanted to focus on investing in companies that were making a positive, significant social change in the world as well. Uh, so my focus really became became impact investing after that. And that's been the focus for several years now for both my fund with Next Wave Impact as well as with um, vegan investing as an angel investor and now with vegan investors. Fantastic. What drew you to economics in the first place? Because I, I had a look at your background. You've got a very strong background in economics. What kind of drew you to economics and investing in the first place? Um, you know, when I was in college, I ended up minoring in economics because it was the fastest thing to do with my major, which was international development. But then I realized as I was going through all these classes was, was how important economics is in everything that we do. Uh, so I became a double major and then went on to get a master's and a PhD in, yeah. in, uh, in economics. Wow. Um, and through that really got into international development, which got me into microfinance, which then brought me to small business finance and entrepreneurial finance, which brought me to impact investing. Wow, a fantastic journey. Now, one of the things I love that you do is that you are wanting to support people, both investors and also entrepreneurs who are from more diverse backgrounds. Um, let's start off with my question then, why are there so few female angel investors? Because I know that's something that you're trying to change and you're, you're training women and, and trying to bring them in. But why are there so few female angel investors? Yeah, our goal is really to drive diversity, inclusion, uh, and impact in the early stage venture uh, ecosystem um, because women and people of color are very underrepresented. Um, but, you know, in terms of who's an investor, there's very few people are actually investors and participating in this asset class. But yes, women and people of color are less likely to be, to be investors. Uh, part of that is, I think, um, just the, the networks. Um, I actually wrote a book that looked at kind of the gender gap on the investor side and why we don't see more women um, just not knowing about it, uh, not knowing other angel investors, not seeing deal flow, not knowing how to do it and wanting to know how before they did it. Um, and then also just being risk averse to making one investment into um, a company that might fail. And so the design around Next Wave Impact and the pilot fund that I did when I was still at Kaufman really was a learning by doing fund that designed a program around all of those barriers to entry to get women in, into the uh, investment piece by bringing them into a learning by doing fund, giving them mentorship and training and education and giving them a portfolio of 10 companies with their one investment. Got it. Why do you think then, that when you mentioned that some of the, the barriers, like you mentioned like the, the risk averseness, is it that just more women are not exposed to that kind of thing in college or they're just not naturally as drawn to it? I'm just curious about, I mean, obviously there's the barriers, of course, with the, the networks, but I'm just wondering if there's any other kind of reasons in terms of why women don't go kind of, yeah, I want a piece of that. Well, I think part of it is just exposure and just the networks that they are part of. I think once women learn about the opportunities and the uh, that it's you know fun and interesting and challenging, that I think they really um, thrive in the ecosystem. So I think it's more a matter of just awareness and um, just 
yeah, participating in that network. Yeah, for sure. Um, also in terms of well, female-led companies, as you mentioned, companies led by people of colour and even from other diverse backgrounds such as sex and or gender diverse groups, those are also compared to, uh, you know, the, the majority of companies, they're also kind of few and far between. Why do you think that is? Well, certainly um, when you look at the venture-backed companies, a tiny fraction of them are women-led or led by people of color. And I think part of that is driven by the lack of diversity on the investor side, which is why we're trying to do that um, as well as helping entrepreneurs more generally, because we feel like if we get more diversity and inclusion on the investor side, we're going to get more diverse teams funded which makes more successful entrepreneurs that are diverse, which, and then they go on to be, you know, a, a new co-founders of new companies, investors, board members, mentors, advisors, etc. So um, I think part of the reason why, I mean, women in general and, and people of color in general are less representative in the entrepreneurship population compared with um, the white males. Part of it is a wealth issue, I think, just with yeah. lower wealth levels. Um, but I think also part of it is uh, the lack of, you know, venture financing going to these underrepresented groups, which is why we're, we're focused on that. Yeah, I love it. And I think it's fantastic. I know you mentioned that you're, you're training up and you're bringing in more female investors, investors, people of colour who are investors. I'm curious as well, are you managing or do you think there's starting to be a change in attitude from the, like we say, the traditional kind of white male investors? Are some of them at least trying to kind of be more open-minded and more progressive and looking to invest in companies that, are, that have that diverse people um, from a diverse background running them? Definitely. I think there's two things going on here. One, um, I get a lot of uh, excuses that they just don't see the deal flow. And I can, you know, say we see deal flow every single you know, day of diverse entrepreneurs that are fundable that are looking for funding. So it's not a deal flow or a pipeline problem. They really are out there. It's just a network problem and a connection problem. So I think as, um, the ecosystem grows and becomes less siloed and they are exposed to more entrepreneurs that are underrepresented. I think they're going to see the same opportunities that we see in terms of, you know, opportunities to make great investments. Got it. Got it. Well, I love the fact that you're trying to break up the old boys network. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, now, <laughs> it's a big task, but I, I, it's great. Um, so now you yourself, of course, invest in vegan brands. So can you tell us a little bit about what do you look for in a vegan business before deciding whether to invest in it or not? Sure. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a similar, um, a similar, uh, Sorry, um, it's a similar process that we go through with, um, you know, our fund, which isn't specifically focused on vegan companies. Um, but as an angel investor, I invest my own money versus as a venture capitalist, I invest other people's money as well as my money. So I have a different fiduciary responsibility for those investments. As an angel, I have more flexibility to have more passion projects or, um, you know, take on earlier stage investments that are riskier that the fund might not be willing to do. So as far as, yeah, what I look for, it's still, you know, a good company with a product that's, you know, unique, that has a big market um, that can scale. And, you know, that's going to, again, with this impact piece, you know, make a significant positive social impact in the, in the world. So 
Um, you know, specifically, I've been specifically focused on plant-based alternatives, but certainly the cultured meat space. Um, and now there's a new name for it now. I forget what they call it now, but uh, the clean meat culture. Oh, meat, yeah. Clean meat, cultured meat, alternative protein. <laughs> no new word yeah. for it, yeah. Right. Um, you know, I haven't really been um, that uh, active in. I'm, I'm more interested in the plant-based alternatives. Um, but anything that disrupts animal agriculture and gets animals out of the supply chain is something that I'll, I would look at. Yeah, for sure. Now, I'm guessing that you probably get pitched quite a lot, maybe even a bit more so because you're now on my list that I've got on the vegan business media website of vegan and vegan-friendly investors. So I'm sure you probably get pitched a lot, and sometimes you might be pitched even similar products. Um, so I'm just kind of curious, when you're looking at that, like what makes a, a pitch really stand out for you to kind of sit up and pay attention and go, oh, yeah, I want to explore this a little bit further rather than kind of hitting the delete button straight away. Like this isn't just, you know, do you see what I mean? Like what, what kind of really makes a pitch pop for you? Yeah, so certainly I get a lot of um, <laughs> over the transom cold, cold calls in terms of um, lots of people pitching me. And a lot of it's just not in my investment thesis. So it's easy to, you know, to hit the delete button. You know, if it's a vegan business, um, I always take a look because, you know, I'm interested in supporting vegan entrepreneurs um, and getting more vegan companies scaled. So I usually always take a look. I would say what differentiates folks um, when they do reach out is, um, you know, if they've actually done their research, do they know about, you know, what we invest in or what I invest in and how it's a fit for them or how they are a fit for me? Um, and why they're interested in me looking at them um, in terms of the investment opportunities. So I think just, uh, you know, I'm a, yeah, I like to, I'm a little bit detail oriented along those lines. And so I like to know that they've done their homework and it's not just a complete cold call. Like, you know, they sent the same email to, you know, 60 people, like if it's been tailored and they're actually, you know, connecting to me as an investor and, and why, and the why behind it, then I'm more, likely to take a deeper look. I love that. And I'm really glad that you've said that because I know it's tempting because I mean, I get people contacting me saying, I need an investor. I need money now to do this. Where can I go? And of course, now I send them to my nice list that I've done, but that's exactly right. The wrong thing to do to just kind of pitch the same thing. Give me money, give me money, give me money. It's interesting because it actually ties in with what I do, which is media, which is why I always teach people, you know, tailor your pitch to the media outlet. Don't just do a big spray and pray. So I really like that you've, you've said that. So take note, people, <laughs> tailor your pitch. Um, so now I've interviewed quite a, quite a few investors and I, I get different takes on this. I'm curious to get yours. Um, how important is a business plan and a pitch deck? Well, usually the pitch deck is the first thing I look at. And so I think that's important. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time on investor readiness trainings for entrepreneurs and getting them ready for investors. And, you know, there's just things that should be included in that pitch deck. So I, I actually put a lot of weight into the pitch deck and make and, and ensuring you know those things that we talked about you know the, the product the uniqueness how they're better than their competitors the scalability of it um why they're the team to do it um all of that you know it should come out clear in, in their pitch, pitch presentation as far as the business plan i mean obviously if you go into due diligence and are investigating the investment opportunity more deeply, you're going to look at the business model, make sure it makes sense, make sure the projections are in line with, you know, reality and, and so forth. So I think the, the business plan and the, and having a 
valid business model are important. Um, but the first thing I see is usually going to be the pitch deck. Pitch deck. Nice. Okay. And in terms of, because I know sometimes business plan, it can kind of freak some entrepreneurs out because they think, you know, they've got to have a hundred page document, you know, with everything outlaid. So in terms of a business plan, like it could even be maybe two or three pages, as long as they, would that be fair to say? As long as yeah, they I mean, kind of research. The, the lean startup model, that, that canvas is a great way to kind of, you know, write out your business plan in a, in a way that kind of touches all of the, the important aspects. Got it. Great. Fantastic. Now, as well as providing financial investment, uh, investment, um, I'm curious, um, do you offer anything else in terms of say mentorship or business advice or having some kind of say in how the business is run or does it vary from investment to investment? It definitely varies by investment. I just got a note from an investor looking to invest in a company that I had invested in, but it was what, uh, it was a very small investment that I made with through a syndicate that I didn't do a ton of due diligence on. I just liked what they did. And, you know, if you're going to invest, you know, a thousand or ten thousand dollars in a company, it's very different than if you're investing, you know, a hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars into a company. And so the level of due diligence I do is is quite different um, based on, on those, um, you know, the amount of investment I'm going to do. And so along those same lines, I may or may not be involved in uh, the ongoing, you know, operations of the company and in an advising role. Um, certainly, I'm always available for folks that they have, uh, you know, a specific ask of me, whether it's an intro to somebody or, you know, a specific question about, you know, the business or the finances. Um, but those that I'm more heavily invested in, um, I tend to spend more time uh, on, obviously. And then even if I don't invest, I typically, you know, do help a lot of entrepreneurs get, um, get their, you know, you know, their ducks in a row in terms of being ready for investment and the right kinds of investment and what it means to take outside funding. Cause it's not for everybody. And, uh, it does come with, uh, some costs along with the benefits. And so, um, I do think it's good that they know ahead of time what, what it means to take outside uh, money. That said, you know, when you do take outside money, you are getting not just the financial capital, but the human capital as well. Ideally, you know, that's why they call angel yes. abuse smart money and crowdfunding dumb money. But I mean, <laughs> uh, but the, the level of involvement clearly, you know, varies dramatically across the different investments. I mean, between the, the various funds and angel investments I'm in, you know, I'm probably well over 100 investments and clearly not enough hours in the day. To yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> so uh, I would say I'm, I'm very involved in a few and, you know, perfectly involved in, in several more, but a lot of them are, very, are, are passive investments. Got it. Got it. Understood. Now, see, do you predominantly um, invest in companies that have been around for a while that have got a bit of a track record versus, say, a brand new project that's kind of maybe got a concept or concept idea? And if you do the latter, how do you mitigate your risk as an investor? Yeah, as a fund manager and as an angel investor, I, I don't really I don't think I've ever invested in an idea. I think it's I've always invested in companies with some traction. Um, okay, that's good to know. Uh, unless you count my restaurant investment up in Fort Collins, I think that was an idea before it happened. But they had a food truck ahead of time, so they had some some previous uh, traction as a, with a food truck. But uh, in general, I invest in companies that have some proof of product market fit, even if it's just like a crowdfunding rewards based 
um, crowdfunding campaign where they got a bunch of pre-purchase orders, basically. Um, okay. That would be traction in my Oh, really? Okay. So they don't necessarily need to need to have been running for, say, a year or two years or five years, whatever. Just, okay. okay. Some traction that shows that you actually are producing something that someone will pay for. People want. Yeah, got it. No, that makes sense. Fantastic. Now, let's talk a little bit about the vegan investors group that you've launched. Um, you brought together a group of investors from across the globe, and you're running these online virtual pitch events where entrepreneurs from across the globe as well can, can come online and pitch which is a, it's a fantastic idea um and they're vegan companies which is amazing why did you and i will i actually as you know I, I wrote an article about this on the vegan business media website and i will put a link to that as well but tell us a little bit about why did you decide to do this first of all sure well we had done a couple of one-off investments through bringing some investments to get investors together to make investments in specific companies um and uh, I wanted to just create a more systematic process to do that. So the one in September was actually our first, you know, virtual pitch event with multiple entrepreneurs. Um, in the past, it's been one specific company that we brought investors together for to look at. Um, so this was actually our first kind of virtual quarterly pitch session where we had five companies from uh, four countries and investors from probably 12 plus countries. So it's, it's a pilot. So, you know, we're learning by doing just like we're doing, you know, we have a learning by doing fun. I'm certainly learning by doing and trying to make a more efficient process around um, this. And so we're doing it because I think there's a need. Um, and so, you know, there's, you know, there's a few, um, syndicates and, and funds and so forth for vegan investing, but a lot of them are later stage and much larger investments. And I know there's a lot of people out there like me who want to make 5, 10, 20K investments in individual companies, but not 100,000, 200,000. And so a lot of times, if you look at what companies are doing when they're raising, they have, say, a minimum of 100K or 50K in, to be on their cap table and, and do an investment. And if I, if I had to do 50K or 100K investments, I wouldn't be able to make very many. And so part of what it means to do early stage investing is build a portfolio of 25 plus companies. And so by creating a group where we invest together and put together special purpose vehicles to meet that minimum 50K, 100K, 250K requirement with individual investors investing 5, 10, 20K, um, it's, it's a way for more early stage, um, smaller investors to get involved. And it also allows early stage companies to get angel financing and get them to a stage where they're going to have more traction and be able to attract venture capital. Oh, I love it. That's fantastic. Okay. So is there a cap on like, so does it just go up to say 25, 25K? It's predominantly then for for people looking to raise yeah, I'm just thinking for the entrepreneur side, if they want to get involved, you know, they shouldn't expect to be getting more than, say, 25K by doing a virtual pitch event. Is that right? Well, again, um, just like as, as a fund, as an angel investor, we syndicate all of our deals. So they may be raising a million and we may invest, you know, 200K as a group, but we target people that are raising 100K to a million um, uh, for their, you know, basically their seed rounds. Um, and then investors, individual investors can invest, you know, anywhere from 5k and up. Okay. Um, and depending on what the cap, the minimum is, sometimes it's, you know, 25k or 10k, they could invest individually and get on their cap table. But one of the things we want to 
you know, do is help entrepreneurs. And if entrepreneurs come to VC with, you know, 75, 10K investors on the cap table, that those VCs might just walk away. Like, I can't deal with that. And so by aggregating smaller investors into one vehicle, it's one line on the cap table and it's a cleaner cap table and that benefits the entrepreneurs as well. Brilliant. Brilliant. I love that. Thank you for explaining that. So how do you choose um, who to allow on the virtual pitch events? I know you've only just really kind of kicked off, but I'm just curious because I imagine you're probably going to get, just as you get pitched a lot individually, I'm imagining people are going to get very excited about this and you're going to have a lot of applications. So I'm just curious, what are you looking for in the applications and how best can somebody represent themselves to get it? I suppose it's a bit like applying for Shark Tank. And I know it's not the same as Shark Tank. They don't get the deal on the, the core anything. But I suppose, yeah, just kind of how, what are you looking for to, to actually go, yeah, we're going to put you on this particular event? Yeah, we had way too many companies that wanted to pitch in our, <laughs> our launch event in September. <laughs> we did. We narrowed it down to people that had some traction that had a, you know, scalable potential, scalable, you know, that potential for scale. Um, and just, you know, interesting, diverse group of, you know, companies and entrepreneurs. So it was really just putting together, um, yeah, just a group that would be attractive to a lot of different investors as the first, um, as for our first uh, virtual pitch event with multiple entrepreneurs. I think what we, we learned, we weren't planning on having five, but we just had so many good ones. It was hard to uh, pare it down. I think going forward, I mean, we are going to move to monthly monthly events and have two companies, just like our fund does. We look at two company presentations a month, uh-huh. um, but and but we're just going to be doing we're starting to do quarterly um, events, and just because it was so many companies, we were going to have a pitch event in November, but we're still trying to. Um, do all the due diligences and all of that on the companies that pitched. So we're going to wait till January to see new companies, but it'll probably be every other month, two companies a month um, or two, two companies every other month. Um, And yes, we already have a lot of applications. So uh, showing product market fit, showing the scalability aspect, um, showing a decent pitch deck that shows that you understand where your company's going, who your competition is, why you're the, why you're the team to really solve this issue. Um, and, you know, show that it's a good investment opportunity. I think those are the ways to, um, to really um, differentiate yourselves. I mean, we're already looking at only vegan companies led by vegan founders. And so that knocks a ton of companies out, right. but surprisingly mm-hmm. there's lots left and uh, we're yeah. excited about that. Um, because even within that narrow focus, we are seeing lots of great uh, investment opportunities. So it's yeah. clearly a need that hasn't been met yet. So we're excited to try and help solve the, solve the issue. Yeah, fantastic. No, I love it. Now, I know it says on the, the, the Vegan Investors uh, Group website that you're only, look like you've mentioned, like you've talked about, you're only really looking for companies that are going to have this really big impact. And I think you even mentioned you're not necessarily interested in restaurants for, as an example I think it put on there but what about then for maybe smaller vegan business owners who maybe don't want to necessarily have massive companies and not the rest of it but so they're kind of still fairly small but they can still have a kind of an impact whether it's locally or if their products are available say nationally but you know they're not looking to kind of scale up and be you know massive companies what advice could you give to them about if they were looking for some investment or even if they shouldn't look for investment and should look for other ways to raise capital? 
we tend to tell people not to look for angel or VC cap funding. If you look at the percentage of companies, it's only about five or 6% that actually get angel or VC financing. So 90 plus percent of companies never get these kinds of funds. And so I think it's important to realize that, you know, you have to fit a very, um, I mean, we are trying to break down the venture capital model and find alternative structures and so forth that actually are better fits for the entrepreneurs and the investors. So it's a win-win. But that's a whole nother conversation. But I think for companies that are smaller, that are like the main street type of businesses, restaurants, stores, et cetera, that don't, aren't looking to have a global footprint or even scale beyond their local communities, there's lots of you know, financing options like community development, financial institutions, credit unions, et cetera, from their local communities that have a vested mission to invest in their local communities. Um, so it's hard for startups because, you know, banks don't necessarily want to fund uh, startups if they don't have a track record and they don't, you don't have a, like a house or a house to, you know, <laughs> put your, your equity on the yeah. line for the collateral. Um, but I think once you have some operational um, history and a good um, business model that can show that you can be profitable, then there's lots of, not, you know, uh, lending opportunities from various um, financial institutions. Mm. Um, there's also, um, honestly, there's also this, you know, rewards-based crowdfunding. So you see a lot of Kickstarter, Indiegogo, and other campaigns that are um, um, rewards-based. So you can have pre-purchase, basically, from future customers help fund the startups. Um, and more and more with the Jobs Act and crowdfunding, there's a lot of debt-based crowdfunding platforms and equity crowdfunding platforms that are also potential options for, for folks as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think it is, I think, and particularly it's probably the education around it. I think people say, oh, good, there's all these vegan investors. You know, I need money to do this. I'll go to a vegan investor. So I think it's actually helpful to, for you know, particularly for, for smaller businesses to kind of go, oh, okay, I actually, that's not the best route for me to go down. So I'm glad that you've said that. And you're, you're right on the crowdfunding. I, I did a, a Q&A actually with a hugely successful recent one. It's a French um um, hat, a bag it's like it turns into it's a it's called the bobo bark I don't know if you've seen it online it's like a backpack a shoulder bag and a handbag and it's a, a Parisian uh, father who's been in business for a long long time and now his daughter is vegan and into the whole eco thing so he's been using leather for years and years and now they've got this new brand together and it's all vegan and they put a kickstarter up. they wanted to raise about 15 one five fifteen thousand US dollars and they were close to a million because in pre-sales because like people really wanted it so so yeah you're right there's all these other ways to do it so it's not always about investment and honestly if if that is also a great route to venture capital if that's a if that's what the entrepreneur wants because if someone sees that you have a million dollar pre-order but uh yeah reward-based crowdfunding that's a huge signal that the market is there and, and ready and willing to pay and you know that there's a there's growth potential so yeah it's uh, not only great non-dilutive funding, but it's also a great signal to other investors down the road if you want to take that kind of yeah. investment. 
Absolutely. So just to wrap up, I've got a, just a couple of final questions for you around vegan capitalism. And I, I should say, I'm, I'm giving a talk on this. So I'm gathering people's views on it. And of course, I'll attribute, you know, what you think. So I'm just kind of curious, because it, it kind of comes up, particularly because in the vegan business world, of course, we're also activists in that, you know, we want to make a, a change, you know, for animals, people and planet. But some in the, the vegan and the animal rights and the social justice movements are saying that, you know, all this kind of, you know, what they're kind of calling, you know, vegan capitalism, Humorism. Um, they're quite skeptical of the finance and business world in general, and they're saying it's not the solution, you know, to a just and fair world. Um, and of course, then we've also got these companies, you know, multinational companies not known for their ethics, jumping on the vegan bandwagon. Um, so I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on this topic? <laughs> my, my thoughts are, are are changing over time because I because I definitely see both sides, right? Yeah. I mean, when you get a in uh, someone coming in and either buying a vegan company um, or investing in a vegan company that is not vegan, um, it, it brings a lot of human capital and, and knowledge to that entrepreneur that will really help that company scale. They have distribution channels that, you know, most ve small vegan companies could only dream of. And so there's a lot of, yes, um, upside to getting either bought by or invested um, by a one of those players. I think just more recently, I'm leaning towards the, the, the side of, yes, being a little down on that and really wanting to see the growth and wealth creation coming from the vegan businesses going to the vegan community and those that are aligned with the, these values, because I don't want to necessarily see these huge meat companies profiting and, you know, investing in and then profiting from these companies and they don't share our values. I would rather see that wealth stay within our community so we can continue to do good things and more things with that wealth that has been created. So I definitely am, am more on the side of let's just do it ourselves and, and, uh, and build that wealth together and create a more compassionate world. Yeah, no, I love it. I, I'm same with you. I'm kind of, I can literally see there's both sides. And I recently had a chance, I spoke to the head of one of like the major fast food chains in Australia. He's invested, they, the company's invested in a uh, plant-based protein. So I went to the launch because I went up to him and I said, look, are you prepared to actually, now that you've added these plant, you know, this plant that they've just added finally, like a plant-based burger. I said, are you willing to take some animal products off the menu instead of just adding the plant-based ones on? And he was really candid and honest. And he said, oh no, he said, not yet. He said, we're not brave enough to do that yet he said we're not on a mission this is about business it's about profits we want to add customers in and I think that's where the issue is coming it's like because obviously because my optimistic view is that if we can make ethics profitable that would be a good thing like if they look at it and go oh okay people are buying the plant-based product they're not buying our animal-based ones let's ditch the animal-based ones like Elmhurst the dairy company did that's what I would like to see but I know sometimes people go oh, that's too idealistic whatever but it, it's interesting time so I'm very interested to get your your take on that so yeah thank you for, for sharing that so just finally to wrap up then what I guess what's next for you or is there anything you you want to share with us anything that that you're doing and just your long-term vision for you and your various um, ventures. Ah, well, let's see. So next wave, yeah, we're, we're doing a, a new fund that's going to be focused on both racial and gender equity as well as a sustainable planet. So I would like to continue to see 
um, vegan sustainable companies in in our portfolio through next wave and then yeah as we're building out vegan investors and figuring out the processes that can work best for both the investors and the entrepreneurs you know the more the merrier so we'd love for folks to come on board through veganinvestors.com um, and yeah I think you know we just want to create a more vegan and compassionate world so um, uh, yeah Wonderful. I love it. I'm just so happy that there's so many people like yourself, you know, who are coming from that finance world, you know, that economics world that are, yeah, just really literally making a difference. I think it's just, you know, it's unprecedented times and it's very exciting. So thank you for everything you do. And also thank you so much for speaking with me today. You shared some great tips, which I know will be helpful to my audience of, of vegan business owners. So it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you, Alicia. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. So that was Alicia Robb from Next Wave Impact and Vegan Investors. You can find out more at nextwaveimpact.com and veganinvestors.com. And those links are on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 133. Now for some vegan business news highlights. Activewear brand KD New York has created a vegan alternative to cashmere. The company, which was created by two dancers from the Oakland Ballet in 1980, makes a range of athleisure products, from bodysuits to leg warmers, which have been worn by celebrities including Jennifer Lopez, Beyonce and Mikhail Baryshnikov. The founders launched a Kickstarter campaign to raise $51,000 to launch the vegetable cashmere line and surpassed that with 243 backers who pledged just over $54,000 in pre-orders, which are expected to be delivered in February 2020. KD New York founders say that the product is exactly like animal-based cashmere in terms of look and feel, but without the cruelty. It's also more sustainable, being 100% plant-based, natural and biodegradable. I love this. I'm so happy to see the dance industry start to embrace vegan alternatives. My wife Tracy dances on point and she gets her vegan point shoes from Gaynor Minden. Uh, They've got a vegan range. And the lovely Cynthia King, who's a passionate animal advocate uh, who runs a dance school in Brooklyn, New York, has her own range of vegan ballet slippers. So this development by KD New York is excellent, especially because it raises awareness of the cruelty to goats in standard cashmere. Fantastic. Swedish plant-based milk brand Oatly has launched a big, bold advert in Waterloo train station in London in the UK. The ad is a huge horizontal billboard with the words, Go ahead, eat vegan. Now, in 2015, the brand, which makes oat milk products, was sued by the dairy industry in Sweden and lost for its It's Like Milk But For Humans ad campaign, which it launched in the UK in late 2018. My heart leapt when I saw a picture of the Go Ahead Eat Vegan billboard in one of London's busiest train stations. What I particularly love about Oatly is they're not afraid to use the word vegan. 
Many companies are jumping on the plant-based term, and that may well be the right decision for them and possibly for you. But Oatly, along with Miyoko's, is thoroughly embracing the vegan word and message. And there's a lot of discussion about terminology and whether vegan businesses should use vegan or plant-based in their marketing and branding. I wrote about this for Forbes when I had my column, and the article is republished on the Vegan Business Media website, and I'll put a link to it on the show notes page for this episode. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more free resources as well as details of how we can work together to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. And I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now. 